Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Fight for justice. A pro-life father of seven facing federal charges has been acquitted by a jury in Philadelphia. What Mark Houck and his attorneys are saying. On the march, pro-lifers gather in the state of Virginia to rally their support for the unborn. We hear from Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin on the state march and his efforts to defeat abortion. Addressing the issue, one woman's unique way of fighting to end abortion and why she is trying to change hearts and minds through clothes. Some very welcome news to kick off our show tonight. A jury in Philadelphia has acquitted a pro-life dad of federal charges. Mark Houck had faced 11 years in prison after being accused of violating the FACE Act. His lawyer called the jury's decision a victory for life and justice. From day one, this case uh, has been an intimidation tactic by the Biden Department of Justice. We've, uh, we had put forward uh, a very strong legal case why should have never reached trial. And then what the jury heard in there was, was the factual case. Mark Houck said he felt relieved when he heard the jury's decision. The judge who presided over the case seemed perplexed as to why it was even brought to trial because of how thin the prosecution's argument was. A reporter who was present in the courtroom told me that the proceedings were an amazing testament to the power of prayer. Many were there all week supporting Houck by praying rosaries and being present with his family. On the heels of the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., nearby Virginia just held its annual March for Life in Richmond, the Commonwealth's capital city. The pro-life movement received a boost last year when Republican Glenn Youngkin was inaugurated as the state's governor. He replaced Ralph Northam, one of the most pro-abortion governors in Virginia's history. This week, Youngkin marched alongside pro-lifers in Richmond, and we're honored to have Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia join us tonight. Governor Youngkin, thanks so much. I first just want to thank Thank you for taking the time to speak with us and for all you've already done to protect the unborn as governor. Talk to me about the energy at this year's Virginia March for Life. The energy was great, and it was just such an encouragement to see thousands of Virginians uh, come together and march for life. And uh, there were young people and, and older people and folks from all over the Commonwealth, from all walks of life. And that was so exciting. And I think what's, what's uh, most encouraging is that at a moment where we have seen in the post-Roe v. Wade world um, so much focus on what states are doing, Virginians have come together and said, you know what, we want fewer abortions, not more. Yeah. And that's what the energy today at the March for Life was all about. So, and I so encouraging. Excited excited again for, for the second year to be able to participate in it as governor. Yeah, so wonderful. And let's talk about what your administration has done to protect life. As soon as you took office, you and your team urged the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe. You issued a budget amendment to stop taxpayer-funded abortions in the Commonwealth. And you've spoken out strongly against attacks on pro-life centers in Virginia. So tell us more about all of this and why defeating abortion is so important to you personally. Well, first of all, let's let's just begin with uh, just a clear recognition that that we need to stand up for life, and uh, that's one of the one of the things that Virginians knew when they elected a pro-life governor, 
And, and so this is just part of, part of our administration's objectives is to work to protect life. Um, and, it, and it's protecting life before a child enters the world and it's protecting life after a child enters the world. And so um, while, we have, while we have pressed for uh, uh, legislation and for, for, to, to erase funding, uh, government funding for, for, for abortions, we've also worked to provide uh, support for pregnant women um, so that they can get the kinds of services and support before their child enters the world and afterwards. Mm -hmm. And we're also working to make sure that those children that need support uh, through life in our foster care system get it. Um, there, there is a comprehensive recognition that we need to be pro-life. And I'm excited as governor to, to see so many initiatives underway. Yes, and speaking of children after they're born, before we let you go, I also wanna ask you about the work your administration is doing to protect children in schools and raise awareness about the rights of parents to know what their children are being taught. Talk to me about that. Well, this is, this is fundamental uh, to our administration's uh, efforts which is to make sure that the fundamental rights of parents are not just protected, but they're reestablished in a state that had really began to move away from them completely. And so I've been so excited that early in our administration, uh, we were able to bring together people on a bipartisan basis to pass legislation, to empower parents to make decisions whether their child wears a mask or not, to empower parents to make decisions about whether the, the materials used in the curriculum were appropriate for their family or if, if they were not and they could they could ask for replacement replacement materials so, to make sure that parents are fully aware of decisions that are being made for their children in mm. in their schools yeah and this is just the moment where we have to step back and recognize just a basic truth that the children belong to parents not to the state and therefore, we have to go to work to make sure that parents don't just have a seat at the table, but have the head seat at the table. A child deserves the right to have a parent in their life. And parents must have the fundamental right protected to make decisions with regards to their children. Well, Governor Youngkin, as a Virginian myself, I am very grateful for your leadership. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, it's been an honor. Thank you. God bless you. Stephen Billy, Vice President of State Affairs at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, joins me now. Stephen, thanks so much. We just spoke with Governor Glenn Youngkin about this week's Virginia March for Life in Richmond, a little more than a year after his inauguration. How do you think the governor has done in protecting the unborn? I think Governor Youngkin is a, a clear pro-life governor. He's shown a commitment to protecting babies, and he campaigned on and throughout the, the this year has said that he wants to move forward on a bill to protect babies that can feel pain from late-term abortions. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're gonna stand with Governor Youngkin. That is a reasonable uh, uh, law to pass in Virginia. And it's a law that would be supported by over 60% of the people in Virginia right now. Sure, sure. And Politico reported this week that Democrats are launching a substantial ad campaign focused on the issue of abortion in states where Republicans hold the majority in the legislature. And this piece specifically mentioned Virginia. What do you make of this strategy by Democrats? I think it just highlights how extreme the Democrats are on this issue. They're attacking a bill that would protect babies from late-term abortions and the pain that comes with those late-term abortions. It's a law in Virginia at 15 weeks that 47 out of 50 European countries have. 
most countries in Europe actually have limitations at 12 weeks. And when you're talking about protecting babies that can feel pain, when you're talking about a law that is the, the wide majority law throughout Europe, um, there's, that's not an extreme position. And when you look at the actual voters in Virginia, our poll showed that 60, 61% of Virginians actually support that. Um, even a majority of self-identified pro-choice voters support the 15-week bill that Governor Youngkin is supporting. Mm, thanks for explaining that so clearly. And, and speaking of activity in the states, in South Carolina, it appears that the state Supreme Court is blocking their heartbeat law that was enacted back in 2021. Can you tell us about the attorney general's recent move to ask ask the court to rehear the case for the Heartbeat Act. Yeah, it was such a disappointment to see activist, activist judges put the abortion industry and the extreme policy of the abortion industry before the rule of law and before the will of the people in South Carolina. You know, if you look back to 1883, South Carolina has protections for the unborn child in place. So after 140 years, now the, the Supreme Court in South Carolina is finding a right to abortion in the state constitution. It's just unimaginable. Um, Attorney General Wilson is doing the right thing. Governor McMaster, um, they are strong pro-life leaders, and we know that they're going to continue to fight for the unborn child in South Carolina. And I think it makes all the sense in the world to force the Supreme Court to look at this issue again, uh, look at the facts on the on the ground again, and understand that we're talking about protecting children that have beating hearts in South Carolina. Mm. The science is clear. There's videos of those babies with their beating hearts. Uh, and the Supreme Court can't just ignore that. Activist judges can't just rule what they want the policy to be when the voters in South Carolina have made clear where they stand on an issue. Mm. Thanks for the details on that. And before I let you go, I wanted to get your reaction to the news that the Biden administration is thinking of declaring a public health emergency that would expand abortion on demand until birth. What are your thoughts on that? The Biden-Harris administration is clearly extreme when it comes to the issue of abortion. They they will take every step they can to try to force abortion on every state across the country. Thankfully, we've got incredible governors, incredible attorney generals that are fighting back against this. Um, you know, what the Biden-Harris rule would do would be increase taxpayer-funded abortion. It would make voters and, and constituents across the country use their tax dollars to pay for abortion. It's an extreme agenda, and we're going to fight back every way we can. Mm. Well, thank you so much for explaining that and for all of the great work that you do at SBA Pro-Life America. Stephen Billy, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Prudence. The Senate is split evenly between Republicans and Democrats, yet Democrats hold the edge with the deciding vote of the vice president. And Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is determined to use the power that he has to advance radical abortion legislation. That makes the work of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus vital. Founded by Senator Steve Daines in 2019, members of the Pro-Life Caucus have successfully held at bay policies that would, if passed, put us back in the time of Roe versus Wade. This year, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi is the new leader of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus. She joins us now to share how she plans to lead in this role. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, thank you so much for joining me, and congratulations. Well, thank you for this opportunity, Prudence, that we can go on and discuss these very important issues. Absolutely. Because the Biden administration is definitely, you know, they have just massive abortion issues that are going to be hard to combat. So we still have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And can you explain to us the goals of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus this year and how you plan to put those goals into action? Well, most of the movement right now in the progress has been done in the states. But as I said, the federal government, we still have a lot of work to do as well. And it's my job as chairman to uh, make sure that we combat these efforts 
the uh, FDA when they changed their requirements on the uh, abortion pills being dispensed, you know, under a doctor's supervision. That's one thing that we will definitely be looking at because they're violating federal law in doing that. And, you know, every post office becomes an abortion clinic. The pharmacies can become an abortion clinic. It just amazes me that they would support something that could endanger so many lives, mm -hmm. you know, young women. Yeah. that uh, it could be so detrimental to them without doctor supervision at all. Mm -hmm. It amazes me as well. And last year, Democrats introduced what came to be known as the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act. Can we expect them to bring that back this Congress? And, and what are the chances of a bill like that having enough votes in the Senate to advance? Well, of course, in the House, you had 210 Democrats that voted against that, that if the baby survives an abortion, that they would not have just the regular health care that any newborn would have. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I fully expect that to come out of the Senate. But I think that uh, hopefully we would have enough Democrats that would not support that. Mm. Because, uh, I mean, as just horrific as it sounds, you know, I think we could fight that off. I sure hope so, because it's it's incredible. I was really surprised that we had that many to vote against it in the House. So mm. you don't know what to expect. Sure, sure. And Senator, it was a pro-life law in your state that eventually led to the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which puts you in a great position to lead this caucus. So how do you plan to bring that success and momentum from your state to the federal level? Well, the Dobbs case was unbelievable to this day to me. I'm still having to pinch myself <laughs> to think that that actually happened. And we were there when it was argued and then when the decision came down. So there's so much misinformation. And right after that decision came down is when that really kicked into gear that it's just blatant lies being told about what that brought about. And of course, it returned it to the states. So most of it is on a state level. And, uh, you know, I just truly, you know, believe that Roe was wrongly decided mm. over 50 years ago. And to think that my actual representative that lives within five miles of me, Representative Becky Curry, who represents me in that district, introduced that bill. And our Attorney General, Lynn Fitch, she brought it to Washington and the arguments there and that now I have the opportunity to lead the pro-life caucus. So Mississippi has been a player and I could not be prouder of our state. Mm, yes, Senator, we have about 30 seconds left. Talk to me a little bit about the pro-life legislation that we can expect to see on the Senate floor soon. Well, we are basically combating the, trying to play defense because we certainly want uh, the Dobbs decision to stand, let the states decide, but to hold FDA accountable for trying to reverse this order that this requirement that there's no doctor involved when the abortion pills are prescribed. Mm, yes. So that's one of the things that, you know, we want to make sure we combat and uh, taxpayer funded abortions. You know, we've got to make sure that we continue to fight that battle and we want to introduce bills that would solidify that and make sure that this doesn't happen. Mm, yeah, so we're so grateful that you're tackling all of this. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, thank you and God bless you.
Thank you so much. Coming up, a new statue in New York City dedicated to a former Supreme Court justice and strong abortion supporter is being called demonic. I speak out next. And a clothing argument. Learn about one pro-life company's efforts to change hearts and minds with clothes. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. A new statue that sits atop a courthouse in New York City sends a dangerous anti-life, anti-Christian message and is, in a word, satanic. That is this week's Speak Out segment. There's a new menacing eight-foot-tall statue sitting atop a New York courthouse that was designed by a pro-abortion artist. The artist says that the statue is meant to break barriers and is an homage to the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as well as to Roe v. Wade. The statue is named Now. Its artist says the work is meant to convey that women need to act now to affect change so that they can keep having abortions. This freaky statue has braided goat-like horns and arms that look like snakes. And it bears an eerie resemblance to the mascot of the Satanic Temple, a group that has sued many states with pro-life laws because they believe abortion to be a, quote, religious ritual. There's another statue just like this in Madison Square Park. It has the word Hava written on it. Hava translates to Eve in some languages. And the artist says that this was intentional because, quote, Eve was the first lawbreaker. How sinister it is to compare an emblem of abortion to Eve, the first woman. This artist seems vehemently opposed to tradition and the truth about the beauty of women. The truth is, abortion is ugly and it is the downfall of women. This statue should be taken down because it sends a terrible message to women and the world about how to live out true femininity. And for this week's Pro-Life Focus, we're taking a look at a pro-life business called Life Dress. The pro-life apparel shop was founded by Angelique Clark. In her words, the business works to use the power of art to start mind-changing conversations. Angelique is the designer and creator of her products and has traveled across the country and the world to share the mission of Life Dress. She also takes to social media frequently to dispel the lies of people on the other side of the abortion debate. Angelique Clark, founder of Life Dress, joins me now. Angelique, thanks so much for joining me. Talk to me about what Thank inspired you. you to get more involved in pro-life work. I, I remember the first time I met you, you were out in the field campaigning for pro-life candidates. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again, talk to you again. Um, yeah, so uh, Life Dress is my hand-painted pro-life apparel brand. And the mission really is to change hearts and minds about abortion in a unique and creative way. So. I'm taking that on a global mission. It's definitely something that, um, you know, need, it's a message that needs to be heard all across the world. Yeah, and I assume you were an artist before you started Life Dress. So what made you realize you could combine these two passions in such a successful and innovative way? Well, thank you. Um, I think, it, I mean, I've grown up always being really, uh, you know, connected to creativity, connected to the idea of using our, you know, design and creative abilities and artistic drive, I guess you could say, to share a message, because I really do believe art has a power to speak greater than words do. And it also is a universal language. You can go anywhere in the world and see a picture of a baby 
see a picture of a mother and her child and know that that means life mm. and that we should protect it. And so I just wanted to be able to use that and harness that power of art to change the culture and get into the culture and use that to spark conversations, to get yeah. people to start thinking, you know, about what is the reality of abortion and its impact on our culture? Yeah, that's really insightful. And I've noticed that recently you've been taking to social media more and you've been posting short videos that really succinctly debunk some of the lies that we're hearing about abortion. A lot of these times, the claims are coming from women that are your age, your peers. So what's motivating you to speak out on this more often? What's really motivating me the most is seeing how often people don't connect the dots with the issue of abortion, um, hearing so many euphemisms and hearing the idea that women need the choice for abortion. And I just want to get to the heart of it. I want to get to the heart of the conversation and say, what is this choice? You know, what is what is being aborted? Who is being aborted? Who are the victims of you know this greatest human rights injustice of our time? And being able to put that on a platform that you know, young people are on and reaching people where they already are is my ultimate mission. And so whether that is through arts and the traditional medium of painting on clothes and walking around in the world with it and starting conversations, or if it's through social media, I just want to get to the heart of the conversation and get to the hearts and minds of the people who think the things that they think. Yeah, that's a very worthy mission. Angelique, where can people learn more about Life Dress? I know you do a lot of pop-up shops, so where are you going to be next? Well, um, you can definitely find Life Dress online at lifedress.org and, of course, on social media, lifedress.org. And we are going to be, I mean, there's going to be events across the world. Um, you can stay up to date on when the next one's going to be and when you can purchase Life Dress in person. You can also order custom things. So if you don't find something that you like, you can send me a message and order online anything you can imagine with a pro-life message on what you can wear. That's great to know. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Angelique Clark of Life Dress. Thank you so much for having me. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.